I'm John DiLiberto, and you're hearing the Echoes podcast from PRX. Today we're going to hear about another icon of Echoes, and we're going to trip out with Spongle. Croftwork is the 19th icon of Echoes. We celebrated them last year on their 50th anniversary and produced a 30-minute documentary on the band, including an interview with founding member Rolf Hooter. We're going to hear that all over again. And we're going to take a ride with Spongel, a psychedelic electronic band who have been blowing minds for 25 years. I've had sort of very dissociative experiences where I can't distinguish between what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing, what I'm remembering, what I'm thinking, and what I'm tasting. All the sort of the inputs and the outputs get connected in the wrong sockets somehow. I talked to Simon Posford and Raja Ram about their long, strange and hallucinogenic trip. Before we get to that, I want to tell you about a very nice ambient album from Deborah Martin and Jill Haley called The Silence of Grace. Deborah heads up Spotted Peckery Records and has been making her own electronic music for decades. We heard her recently on the show with her Desensitized project. We've been hearing Oboist Jill Haley even longer. She's in the acoustic fusion group One Alternative and she's on dozens of Will Ackerman productions. She's also released a string of solo albums inspired by national parks. With Deborah Martin, she gets sent into deep space as her oboe and English horn lines are bathed in reverb delay in Martin's ambient textures and melodies. Deborah Martin and Jill Haley's The Silence of Grace is on Spotted Peccary Records, and it's available from Amazon, iTunes, Bandcamp, and other retailers. And now, get in the right set and setting for Spongle. One of the most experimental and hallucinogenic bands on the trance music electronic scene has been Spongel. Formed in 1996 with the brain trust of Simon Posford and Raja Ram, they've been blowing minds for a quarter century. They've just released a continuous EP called Carnival of Peculiarities. Step right up, the show is about to begin. We laugh non-stop in the studio, I swear, John. I mean, hysterical tears, holding your stomach, can't work, can't play the flute. I mean, that's the vibe that you have to go for because music is all vibe. That is Raja Ram, known as Ronald Rothfield to his mother and father, who brought him into the world 80 years ago. That means he could be the grandfather to his partner in Spangle, Simon Posford, at 49. They arrived at the Spangle concept at the Glastonbury Festival. We were sitting up in the stone circle at dawn at Glastonbury Festival and with the mists of Avalon hanging over the valley. It was just just beautiful. And we had this Celtic harp player in front of us. 
this sort of beautiful elfin pixie woman playing this quarter-sized wooden harp, a Celtic harp. And every note that she plucked was like a liquid drop of nectar falling from the sky. And uh, we were so mesmerised and enchanted by the whole situation, really. And we had uh, a studio booking at Butterfly Studios, a youth studio, immediately after Glastonbury. And so we were there sort of thinking about inspiration and, and this vibe here with this Celtic harpist and the mists of Avalon and the sort of the ambient psychedelic atmosphere just uh, really appealed to something in our hearts that we wanted to try and capture. So when we went into the studio, of course, we didn't capture that at all. We weren't even close, but we did, <laughs> we did Rumours of Vapours, the first Spongle track. Simon Osford and Raja Ram have similar backgrounds from different generations, both born of the psychedelic movements of their younger years. Speaking on Zoom from what looks like his kitchen in London, Raj still sports his classic handlebar mustache beneath a shaggy length of grey hair. He remembers having his mind blown by jazz saxophone legend John Coltrane while on peyote in New York City. Coltrane comes out and he goes into this like unbelievable solo. Dolphy comes out, joins him in the solo and the Piote is now coming on seven hours in full blast. And as he's starting to play blue notes, blue notes started coming out of the saxophone bell. And when he was playing in the higher registers, yellows and oranges, and he turned into flowers. And Dolphy was playing and his horn was spilling out flowers and the flowers filled up and they were up to their ankles and they went beyond the ankles up to their knees out into the audience this incredible solo went for about two hours and none stop and then the concert was finished and me and Shambhu were just completely out of our minds but ecstatic because the music was phenomenal I mean Coltrane at his best Playing his flute, Raj studied with another jazz legend, pianist Lenny Tristano, before moving to England to form Quintessence in 1969. They recorded five albums of music that hovered on the borders of jazz, psychedelic, and progressive rock. To it, After Quintessence broke up in the 1980s, Raja Ram went to Greece, hung out, got baked, came back to England, and in the 90s, taught himself how to play synthesizers, forming the Infinity Project. And it was like four or five years locked in my house in Notting Hill Gate, same house as this house I'm speaking to you right now, 50 years ago. And uh, I just taught myself all this stuff. And that was the start of Infinity Project. And we made 60 tracks and we were blasting over the world, all the dance floors. 
I'm speaking to Simon Posford on Zoom as well from his home in London. Before we started recording, he complains that his hair is a mess, but it looks pretty much like the same disheveled tangle I've seen in just about all his photographs. He's in a room surrounded by gear. Born in 1971, Simon Posford came of age during the rave era, the 90s iteration of the psychedelic 60s. He recorded electronic dance music as Hallucinogen. This was quite a bit more aggressive than the music he'd ultimately be identified with as Spongle. At the most basic level, Hallucinogen was for the dance floor, and then when you go home, that's what, when you want to hear Spongle. <laughs> you know, when we did Spongle, it was very much something for the hammock or something to, to listen to back at home. Don't look for it in Webster's Dictionary. It was another Raj-ism. One of Raj's when he was particularly out of his mind on something and he said, oh, sorry, I'm really spongled. Um, I thought, oh, that's good, you must remember that. Spongle's debut album, Are You Spongled, is a direct reference to the debut album by The Jimi Hendrix Experience. Are you experienced? It isn't apparent to you yet, but Spongle Psychedelics opened up a new world of sound. Like Bill Hicks said, if you don't believe drugs have done anything good for us, then take all those albums and tapes that you love and burn them. Because uh, the musicians that made that music were real high. They sample speeches by psychedelic guru Terence McKenna. These walls, if such they be, are crawling with geometric hallucinations. What one wants to know and what one's interested in is consciousness and mysticism and you know, maybe gravity or magnetism if you're scientifically minded. But for me, I was much more interested in the experience of altering your mind to different frequencies, to different sensations, to be open, to be able to embrace, enhance many things, many doors, many avenues. For me, I just wanted to hear sort of much more minimal stuff. I certainly didn't want to hear vocals and things like that. And I could get lost in a sort of a single snare reverb. I've had experiences where I've sort of been inside the sound, which I can't really describe. And then also I've had sort of very dissociative experiences where I can't distinguish between what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing, what I'm remembering, what I'm thinking, and what I'm tasting. All the sort of the inputs and the outputs get connected in the wrong sockets somehow. 
So you're sort of peering the skin on your hand whilst tasting the flute sound. It's a good thing then that as a flute player, Rajaram is a great cook. As Spangle, their music is more organic than a lot of artists on the electronic music spectrum. Initially, they drew from a lot of sampled sounds, many of which they recorded themselves. Use what's available. Use what's around. And sometimes it's a, you know, a load of marbles that you pour down the stairs, or a crisp packet, or a bowl of water. Certainly, I think one can make a, a sonic tapestry out of anything, really. In Brazil, I used to go around everywhere with a microphone. I'd, there'd be a truck going past playing some music to call people out to get gas. You'd have to fill your bottles, and they had this incredible tune. That were, and I heard it, and I found where the factory was, went to the factory, bribed the guy with a crate of beer. He let me in. Played the tape that they played in the truck, and I brought it back and we put it on the Spongle album. Samples come and go, but you've got to get the good ones. A good sample sets an example. That's what my friend used to say. On the 2021 EP, Carnival of Peculiarities, Spangle show no sign of coming down from their trip, as the title track suggests. So uh, that set the whole tone of this journey going down the river, the labyrinth of the mycelium, the undergrowth of the mushrooms, and passing the villages and seeing the ayahuasca festivals on each side. And that was sort of the whole steamy thing. And I'm talking about the ceremonies about to start and all that, you know, Spongolese sort of speaking. And then it goes, and then there's the break of the flute. And I have to say, in all honesty, John, I was very pleased with that break. I've done many in my career. From the very beginning of my career till this point, and I like this break a lot. Another example of Simon Posford's mixing magic. He gets a sound and he sort of puts it in the mix master of his brain and he squeezes it like a lemon. 
and then he dries it out and twists it. It's like plasticine. He gets this shape out of sound. And often I'm listening, and it's like two hours later, and I'm thinking, Jesus, I wish I could go home. Except I am home. I go out for a walk, and I come back. The kids have gone to university. The dogs had a walk. He's still working on this one little tiny loop. I go to bed. I wake up the next morning. Have my go up. He's in the studio. And then he says, I've got it. I said, Mike. And he plays it, and it's perfect. are the descendants of the psychedelic era and bands like Pink Floyd, Jimi Hendrix, and the Grateful Dead. And like those bands, especially the Dead, they feel part of the community with their fans. It's the people. It's this scene that we've created amongst the trance world and the psychedelic world because this is something that we want to belong to. We want to belong to this feeling of loving brother and sister and involvement of our consciousness and our whole tribe and everybody is welcome to this tribe with the right attitude. Your attitude will be adjusted with the music of Spongel. Their latest release is Carnival of Peculiarities on Twisted Records. I'll have a link for Spongel's A Carnival of Peculiarities in the posting for this podcast at echoes.org. And now, let's put the VW into first gear and travel down the Autobahn with the 19th Icons of Echoes. Kraftwerk. This is Kraftwerk's Man Machine Music. Kraftwerk looked and sounded like the future. It was new instruments, it was new music, and it was guys who were the antithesis of Anglo-American rock and roll. You know, there were no lead guitars, there were no flares, and there was there were suits and ties, but it, it just looked more modern. We could never understand why everybody wanted to stick to the guitars or the drums, or, because they're so boring. And, and now it's happening. Fifty years ago, Kraftwerk launched their first self-titled album. That one didn't change the world, but it programmed the operating system for a sound that would alter music forever. No one has taken the idea of musical cybernetics further than the German electronic band Kraftwerk. Other synthesists try to humanize their machines, or at least 
give lip service to the idea, but Kraftwerk's Rolf Huder talks about a merger at the man-machine interface. There's no way of going back now. For us, we are completely interfaced, so to speak, with our music machines. That's what the man-machine stands for, Kraftwerk. Kraftwerk rarely give interviews, but I spoke to Rolf Huter in 1981 backstage at the Emerald City in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. They were in the midst of a tour behind their latest album, Computer World. I'm the operator of my pocket calculator. Before synthesizers and computers, the members of Kraftwerk used to play actual instruments. Ralph Hooter played organ and Florian Schneider played flute on violin and guitar. Their first release was in a group called Organization with the album Tone Float. It came out in 1969 and was 52 minutes of freeform improvisation. There was a little hint of the Kraftwerk sound with organization, but it was coming. Schneider and Hooter broke off from organization in 1970 and released their debut, just called Kraftwerk. There are still no synthesizers, but their instruments are starting to sound more like them. They had their own studio, which they called Klingklang, or ringing sound in English. It wasn't full of the sleek synthesizers and computers they would later employ. Instead, it was an assemblage of electronic odds and ends. When we got together our Klingklang studio in 1970, we started with tape recorders and oscillators and um, feedback and echo chambers, all kinds of tapes and all kinds of things. Basically very simplistic things. Out of this electric melange, they recorded their 1970 self-titled debut. From the beginning, their music reflected the industrial environment of Dusseldorf, West Germany, where they lived. On their first two records as Kraftwerk, you can hear the factories clanking, belching, and shrieking away in their music. Rolf Hooter was in and out of the group early on. Taking his place one time was guitarist Michael Roter and drummer Klaus Dinger. They would go on to form the band Noi. Michael Roter. We spent six months together touring and recording. We tried to record the second Kraftwerk album in 71 with Connie Plank. 
a sound engineer, co-producer. But we failed at that. Um, Klaus had a primitive style of drumming, that's right. And the, the music we played together as Kraftwerk was also very primitive, very raw. Basically only meant to be exciting. It was, that was all about getting crazy. That was something that we could not transfer into the studio, the recording studio. This lineup didn't record, but there are several live videos on YouTube from television appearances. Even then, you could hear Florian Schneider trying to get the effect of electronic rhythms, which didn't even exist yet, with his flute. We had Klaus Dinger beating the life out of the drums. Um, Florian Schneider with his, um, his um, violin which he strummed, and the electronic flute, which was exciting. He had um, some electronic gear that um, shifted the sound one octave down. And so he, he played super fascinating rhythms, and they were so wild. Kraftwerk from 1971. The legendary producer and engineer, Connie Plonk, who died in 1987, would go on to engineer that second album, as well as the next two Kraftwerk recordings, including Autobahn. Kraftwerk, they started uh, very much influenced by Velvet Underground and also by German composers. They started a rhythmic, very rhythmic, simple way to play. It was very interesting. And they had um, so sort of definite pictures. And this was also uh, came uh, close to my idea how I understand music. To draw as a picture what you, what you instantly are able to pick up. Very quick, complete picture, like a, a street sign. So stop, or one-way street. So Doug, this is an instant short picture where you can pick up very quick and very easily. And they had some, uh, in the beginning, some nice ideas in this direction, mixed with a, a heavy rhythm.
Kraftwerk has largely abandoned their first three albums. They have never been issued on CD and they're not available digitally. In 1981, Rolf Hooter wasn't looking back at those recordings. I don't look back, I look forward to our next record. I don't care about our old records, I only care about our next records. Forward for Kraftwerk began with Autobahn. Part of its sound came from the band's fascination with machine noise. I have a lot of recordings of different machines. Find them, I make them myself, pick them up. Like an Autobahn we picked up is my old Volkswagen, which we recorded. The sound of a Volkswagen ignition is what opens their 23-minute excursion, Autobahn. French electronic artist Jean-Michel Jarre remembers the first time he heard Autobahn. I remember that the first track I heard from Kraftwerk was being Autobahn. At that moment, I, I was in, in France working. I was working. We, we all started more or less at the same time. And I heard that and I said, I thought it was a Californian band singing in English, doing a kind of a Beach Boy electronic version. I thought it was so cool. And then I, I discovered a few weeks later that they were German. Synthesizers were present in all their switched-on glory. They played Minimoog, an Arp Odyssey, an EMS Synthie AKS, and a Profisa organ, as well as electronic drums and other instruments that they created themselves. Karl Bartos and Wolfgang Fleur made the band a quartet with both playing electronic percussion. On the title track to Autobahn, Kraftwerk began using the electronic sequence of rhythms that would be a signature in their sound. It's a technique that was deployed by many German groups, including Tangerine Dream, Klaus Schulze, and Ashra Temple. Ashra Temple guitarist, Manuel Götching. It was probably to find a special rhythm uh, because all other types of music had a special rhythm that you, uh, just from your feeling, uh, that you mm, combine with a certain kind of music. There's a blues rhythm, there's a rock rhythm, uh, there's a swing rhythm, every every age has a certain sp tempo, yeah? And uh, that belonged together with this finding an, an own music here. There was a very strong demand to find a typical German music, and therefore it's, it's very necessary, very basic to find, first to find a certain kind of tempo. Andy McCluskey of the British synthie-pop band Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. Kraftwerk was all about cyclical uh, rhythms and beats and sequences and 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 which 
you know, led into the trance music and things like that. I mean, but Kraftwerk were doing it first, and we kind of bought into that whole kind of um, sort of rhythmical re repetition. Autobahn was a top five hit in England and America in 1974, but it was three albums released in 1977, 78, and 81 that cemented Kraftwerk's status and took them out of the legions of space music and krautrock artists from which they came. They emerged as something like international pop stars. They now established an image of cold, calculating technoids moving on stage like robots and often letting the synthesizers run on automatic while surrogate models of the band stood motionless above them. According to Hooter, the impetus for their music isn't physical, but cerebral. The only interface that Kraftwerk needs are the glistening knobs, buttons, and computer readouts of their machines. Well, when we turn the knobs and the switches, and when we touch the numeric keyboards, the numbers, it's just the same interface. I mean, it's just that these computer instruments, they're much more sensitive than the others, they're, they're not so physical, but it takes more thinking to actually play them. And then you get physical maybe by just switching a couple of knobs. But that's just the result of a thinking process. There are no physical gyrations or facial grimaces when Kraftwerk play. Basically, we stand around and turning knobs and switches. And I think the physical side of the music is what comes out of the loudspeakers. Then the energy level, that's more stimulated by the actual, it's more like a sensitive finger ballet that we play on the instruments. In Vienna we sit in a late night cafe, straight connection, T-E-E, -E. Trans Europe Express. One of the other signature sounds of Kraftwerk was the vocoder. It had been around as a musical device since 1948, but it was groups like Kraftwerk that made it popular in the 1970s. It processed the voice with filters and other techniques. Kraftwerk used it for robot voice effects. Their songs were like slogans, extolling then-modern technology like computers and pocket calculators. There's a reason Brian Eno said their music was nostalgic for the future. 
It's this sound and attitude that spawned a generation of English electronic pop artists like Gary Newman, John Fox, and Altavox, orchestral maneuvers in the dark, New Order, and Depeche Mode. Crawfords, the grandfathers, we call them the grandfathers. Then like there was the next generation who were the fathers and we were the sons. <laughs> <laughs> That's David Gahn and Andy Fletcher of Depeche Mode. Another group heavily influenced by Kraftwerk was Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. We heard Kraftwerk in 1975 when Autobahn was a hit, when I was just 16 and Paul was still 15. And um, that was when we went, oh my gosh, there's something alternative, it's melodic. But what appealed to us in Kraftwerk was that it was it was different. We, we were already not wanting to repeat what we saw as mid-70s rock and roll cliches. So we'd found electronic music before punk even happened. That's orchestral maneuvers in the dark with their song Electricity in 1979. Another influence Crawford had was on hip-hop. For a group who are as stiff as uh, robots on stage, avoiding any overt displays of emotion, Crawford has been surprisingly successful at moving bodies across dance floors. We do a lot of dancing. We Sometimes it's a weekend we go dancing, discotheques in Europe. Dusseldorf is not far from Holland or France. Sometimes we travel and then we go to discotheques in Dusseldorf or Paris. Then we dance and we like uh, mechanistic music with repetitive beat patterns. In fact, the day I interviewed Ralph Hooter in 1981, he'd been out the night before to see the Jacksons with Michael Jackson. They were also very good. The feeling from the R&B and nascent hip-hop community became mutual. Rothwerk's The Man Machine album crossed over into the disco charts and changed the shape of R&B for the next several years. Then Africa Bombada and Soul Sonic Force took Rothwerk's Trans Europe Express and turned it into a hip-hop song, Planet Rock. I loaded a new version of Crawford's Autobahn into the computer, Grace Notes tagged the genre as rap. Art historian and electronic artist James Merle Thomas from the duo Quindar sees the relation between electronic music and dance R&B as both being body music. There are all sorts of discussions and contestations over something like Kraftwerk and the way that they were received and taken up by something like American hip-hop and the way that those kind of sounds come in. But I, I think that there's 
a much, much deeper history to the question of something like sound and physical embodiment, right? We think about, you know, the way that samples and loops and electronic music form the basis for what happens in clubs, right? And the way that bodies move in unison or, or you know, and we that opens on to all sorts of conversations about, you know, disco culture and rave and all of this kind of thing. Carl Hyde of the British electronic band Underworld. As a kid, I grew up with funk. I was, I was like the, the only white kid in town that liked black music. <laughs> and, and I grew up listening to funk. And because I was a little kid, I couldn't, I couldn't play lead guitar, but I could play rhythm. So I got into those repetitive beats that were being played by the funk bands. And when German electronic music started to be played on the radio in the UK, it just sounded like funk music to me. And and Kraftwerk was one, was one of those people that did that repetitive looping thing. And, and of course, years later, when Acid House happened in the UK, that to me sounded like Tangerine Dream meets Kraftwerk meets James Brown, and, and it just felt like home. Kraftwerk is also cited as a spark that ignited house music, which began in Detroit with artists like Juan Atkins, Kevin Saunderson, and Derek May. In Europe, techno and its many offshoots like trance, drum and bass, and jungle emerged as a meeting of house music and Kraftwerk. Orbital was a band that came out of that scene. Phil and Paul Hartnell. My first Kraftwerk album, it's kind of how I age, age us all, is, um, was Computer World. That was the one that I went out and bought for myself. Um, you know, so that was, you know, whenever that came out, that was, that was me starting to really get into, you know, electronic music. Was Computer World the one where we sat down and lay down on the floor? No, that was the man machine. Oh, right, OK. <laughs> <laughs> we laid down on the Sorry. floor for the man machine. Well, we put the speakers down on the floor and we, had, like, we were, like, head-to-head so that we could both uh, listen to, like, the speakers in each ear and, um, and listen to the album like that. It sometimes seemed like Kraftwerk were glorifying technology and industry. Songs like Pocket Calculator, Computer World, and The Model appeared to glorify dehumanization. No, not in this way. It's more a realistic type of um, interrelation, or like you said, interface between us and the machines. Because we don't put the machines on a higher level or a big level, or ourselves onto. It's neither glorification of ourselves nor of the machines. I think it's more about a friendship, to get in tune or a friendship relation with your environment. Rather than feel dissociated from your environment, then you have this negative attitudes all the time. Shiba, 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 shiba
Ben Schneider left Kraftwerk in 2008 and died from cancer in early 2020. Kraftwerk haven't recorded any new music since their 10th album in 2003, Tour de France. Instead, they've turned Kraftwerk into even more of an art piece, touring with stage presentations that are both minimalist and extravagant, including their 3D catalog tours where they play much of their repertoire from Autobahn onward. They remain committed to an electronic future. The electronic instrumentation is just much more sensitive to, you have a much wider range of expression than with so-called traditional instruments, they're quite outdated today. You, everything has been said on, on those type of instruments, so if you want to make music of today, you better use the instruments of today, I think, otherwise it's a museum. Paul Humphreys and Andy McCluskey of Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. The influence that Kraftwerk have had on popular music is, I think, is greater than the Beatles or anyone. You know, it's permeated. Your listeners every... are going to like that statement. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the the ideas behind Kraftwerk have permeated every aspect of popular music. I think. Forty years ago, they predicted the future that is now, and in terms of the way that music is created and. Uh, edited uh, and performed both live and in the studio they were the blueprints and that we all followed Kraftwerk's influence has been profound and long-lasting. Nearly every contemporary electronic artist will cite them as an influence, and they have moved across genres. In 2012, New York's The Museum of Modern Art held a Kraftwerk exhibit that included the band playing their entire catalog from Autobahn to Tour de France. One album a night for eight nights. They've spawned a whole generation of musicians who use the Kraftwerk vocabulary to make music. Fifty years from their first album, Kraftwerk is still the music of the future. Kraftwerk's man-machine music, The Echoes documentary, was produced, written, and edited by me, John DiLiberto, with assistance from Jeff Town, the producer of Echoes. Partial funding comes from the Pennsylvania Council on the Arts. Additional funding comes from our PRX affiliate stations. You can also see the complete list of the 30 icons of Echoes at echoes.org, and you can dig back in the podcast where we've done profiles like this on most of the first 19 icons. Next week on the Echoes podcast, the 20th icon, Ulrich Schnauss. Subscribe to the Echoes podcast so you don't miss any of these gems. I'm John DiLibretto. This has been the Echoes podcast from PRX. See you next week, tonight, on the radio somewhere in the country or at Echoes Online right now or whenever the heck you want. <laughs>